Welcome to the Reboot Podcast. I'm Dan Putt, one of the partners here at Reboot. I could not be more excited about this show. I've known Jerry for almost seven years now, and without a doubt, I can say that my work with him has had a profound impact on my life. In this show, we're opening up the coaching couch to the world and bringing everyone in on this conversation around this work. We're here to showcase the heart and soul of authentic leadership and to inspire more open conversations around what we consider the most important part of entrepreneurship, the emotional struggle, and hopefully opening up some hearts along the way. We are extremely grateful that you've taken the time to be with us and look forward to this journey ahead with you. Now, on to our conversation. Work is difficulty and drama, a high-stakes game in which our identity, our self-esteem, and our ability to provide are mixed inside us in volatile, sometimes explosive ways. Work is where we can make ourselves. Work is where we can break ourselves. And that quote comes from David White in Crossing the Unknown Sea. As CEO of a young startup, you can often feel that what you are facing right now, the choices in this very moment, can make or break your company, can make or break you. And you'll likely find yourself in this place more than once. Nigel Sharp, CEO of Armenia-based Lion Sharp, finds himself in one of these very moments. On the one hand, he has the tremendous promise and excitement around a product and his team. He's getting very positive feedback from all over the world. On the other hand, he faces the reality of not only six months left of runway, but also the challenge of needing to fundraise between Thanksgiving and New Year's. How do you balance the excitement and the challenges? How do you discuss the reality of your finances with your team? How do you discuss your fears, not only of failure, but of success? Here, Jerry and Nigel explore these questions and more in this episode of the Reboot Podcast. Hey, Nigel, how are you? Uh, great. Thanks, Jerry. Good, good. Hey, Nigel, before we start, why don't you give us what Lion Sharp is and uh, who you are and that sort of stuff? Sure. Um, okay, so Lionsharp is a uh, creative technology company. Um, we're a little bit eccentric in the fact that uh, we're actually based in Armenia. So Armenia is over in the Caucasus, and um, we're quite far out of the way, but we're trying to build a, a world-leading uh, technology uh, company. What we currently do is we work with really cool futuristic stuff like voice control and voice recognition and also uh, gesture control. So we mix like some of the latest and greatest technologies, build minority report style interfaces um, for products that we think are going to help business productivity. So we're very focused in the business productivity area. Um, one of the first products we're working on is called uh, a voice board. Voiceboard is a tool for allowing you to use uh, voice and gesture controlled presentations. So it's a sort of a step away from, say, the traditional PowerPoint type presentation and much more into bringing things into a natural and interactive type uh, environment. It's actually very exciting to watch. It's very exciting to be part of. And uh, we've just uh, just got ourselves set up uh, in a couple of pilot locations around the world. So we're really excited about uh, what the progress is there. So we're, we're just kind of, um, yeah, we're, we're kind of in that 
how can I say? And as far as phase, we're currently sort of at a, a seed kind of phase uh, of the company where we're hoping to sort of, you know, go into the next level of growth. Um, and we should hopefully be hitting the uh, the product to market uh, later this year. So it's, uh, it's pretty much uh, everything's happening right now. Oh, oh, I see. So, well, thanks for that. And I think if I remember correctly, where you are in terms of the maturation of the business speaks to the issue that you wanted to talk about today. Is that right? Yes, indeed. It's interesting how a lot of things have happened and they've culminated in, uh, in the need for talking about things like uh, growth and uh, expansion of the company. I'm having two advice uh, sets coming from various people. One advice set is saying, be frugal, be careful, you know, cut down to the absolute minimum core number of people you have, get down to the absolute basics and, and just drive forward from there until you're in a position where you're generating you know, revenue or you have secured further investment. The other side of the hand is sort of saying, well, you know, to get to that point, you need to expand, you need to grow, you need to do um, as much as you can with having, uh, you know, just keep bringing on board as many interested people as there is and just keep growing the company because that's how, um, that's how great things are going to happen. So I'm kind of fighting with that dilemma and I'd, I'd like your opinion on that. So it's really, you're in this funny stage right now where you've made enough progress that uh, if I remember correctly, you've raised a seed round. Uh-huh. And now the question is, do you really press it hard and expand and sort of take advantage of the, the momentum that you have? Or do you, you know, hold things tight and just sort of focus more on organic growth? Am I understanding that right? I think that's right. And I think this this is a slight uh, finesse to the whole thing because... The, the issue is, is that, as you know, with investments, you have a certain runway, and our current runway at our, say, current burn rate would probably give us, from, from today's date, probably about seven or eight months. But in reality, to where we are with our current progress and expansion, I think we're in a good position, but I know that to raise a future round of investment and whatever could also take six, seven months. So it's like, especially considering we're coming from a, an Armenian background, we're not, you know, we're not based in Silicon Valley, so things take a bit longer from that side of the world. In the note that I received, um, you also talked about being concerned about becoming a, a corporation or losing that small team feel. Is that also a concern? Well, that's, that's the other thing I'd like to talk about. Yeah, is, um, you know, we, recently I, I, I recruited a, a lady and she came in and, you know, we'd gone through three phases of interviews. We got to the last interview and she said to me, you know, okay, what are the, uh, the benefits and the plans and whatever of the company? And I sort of said, well, look, you know, we're, we're a startup. You know, it's just, you know, we're going to work a lot of hours. We're going to be working really hard and can't really promise you much else other than that. And then, you know, I got a nice email back a day later saying, you know, oh, sorry, thanks very much, not interested. And we suddenly realized that people were coming to us, looking at us as if we were already a established company and realizing that we're starting to already lose that identity of being a small startup where people can come in and get involved in the excitement of growth as opposed to the, let's say, big corporation benefits, um, you know. Yeah, so there's a, there's a bit of a struggle because, um, I mean, do you like being a small company? That's not the intention. You know, Lionship is going to glow is going to grow global, and we have to um, for for what we want to do and and for the way we want to change the world. Let's say um, to use you know this this futuristic technology on on various different platforms and ideas we have. It's just never going to work to be a, a small company. So um, I, I've got big dreams and big plans and what I, big vision, let's say, on where I want to see the company go and the things we do. And I, I just can't imagine us ever staying into being a small group of people uh, sitting in Armenia, for example. They're just not. They're just never the plan. So. 
you know, I, I can give you a, an opinion and I can put on my old VC hat and act as if I'm a board member and give you, a, you know, an opinion about what I would do. The problem is, and this is true for a lot of advice givers you're going to get, you're, you're, you're going to tap, whether they're mentors or investors or friends, they're not you. Yeah. And you actually have to make these decisions. So before I give you my input, which is what I think you, is the right thing to do, is for you to take input and then see, I really want to understand what it is, what the pros and cons that you see. So for example, you're taking this woman, for example, who, who rejected coming into the company because she perceived it not necessarily to be, what, what would you say, like a solid enough company yet? Yeah, you know, she basically said it, that she did not want to take, uh, you know, risk inside the job. She wanted to have a, a guaranteed job with a guaranteed, you know, benefits and salary. So. Yeah, yeah. See, see, if you notice, all of the questions which are pragmatic and understandable and practical and real, but they all sort of hinge around fear. They all hinge around risk, right? There's a risk yeah. in growing too quickly. There's a risk in not growing quickly enough. There's a risk in becoming too corporate and losing that sort of esprit de corps that only a startup can have. And there's a risk in not growing quickly enough and really becoming professional enough because you're going to lose some really mature and talented potential employees. So it's really about what you're really asking is how do you navigate this growth curve? Does that make sense? Yep. I think that's the exact question. Yeah. So... What do you see as the risk of, I think you said you've got a team. How many people do you have on the team now? Uh, currently, we're at about 11 people. All right. And you just closed the seed round, is that right? Well, no, actually, we, we just closed the second tranche of the seed round. So we, we, we closed the seed round back in, in May, uh, sorry, March, uh, in March. And we've used the first, to say the first half is gone. So now we're on the second half of that. And how long will that cash last you? Uh, the second half uh, will probably last us around, um, I don't know, conservatively, I think about seven months uh, if we carry on the same current spending rate. And if we were to make some drastic cuts and things, then, yeah, we can make it last a bit longer. So about what, seven months. What does your instinct tell you? Uh, my instinct tells me go for broke. Otherwise, we're going to basically either it's going to become you know just a slow death or a fast death. It doesn't it doesn't make much difference either way. I mean, either way, if you don't make things happen, you don't make things happen. So to make All right, things so happen, if, if you were to go yeah. down that path, when would you be out? I presume you would still you still anticipate having to do another capital raise. Yes. So probably what in another three or four months. Uh, start actively yeah in, in the fall yeah. So like November. Mm-hmm. So what do you need to see, milestone-wise, in the development of the company between now and November to know that the company has got a, a better-than-average shot at fundraising? I think uh, the main milestone would be, you know, engage with, I mean, take what we have in our R&D lab in Armenia and sort of take out that technology and actually get it out into the real world uh, with I don't know what you'd call them, customers or pilot pilot users. I don't know what you'd call them exactly, but those guys out there who are actually using, giving us real feedback. I think that's that's the thing. Getting getting out of the comfort zone of being. I mean, I, that's what, another fear that I have. But we'll talk about that separately. Um, getting out of the comfort zone of being in Armenia and getting into the real world, um, which is exactly what I'm doing on this current trip uh, over in in California. So I mean, we're, we're learning a lot from that. 
So are you meeting with potential customers in California? Well, actually, we've just set up uh, the voice board system in, uh, in Silicon Valley uh, at, a, at a large showcase uh, location. Um, it's at an incubator called Nest GSV. And um, yeah, those guys there have, have kindly hosted uh, the voice board system. So we're hoping that they're going to be able to give us some great feedback. And what I've noticed so far in the past few days and meeting with various people is that the, uh, the feedback from Silicon Valley is definitely tough. You know, it's definitely much more realistic. In, in Armenia, people will be very soft. They'll say, well done. They'll give, you, they'll give you a pat on the back for anything you achieve. Yeah. Whereas over here, you know, it's, uh, it's a much rougher, rougher game. People have seen everything and they, they really want to you know, make you the best of the best. So. Yeah, well, see, I, I, I'm feeling the same impulse. My instinct is rather than get, tell you you should, go, you should go for it or you should not go for it or you should be conservative, what I'd like to see you do, and if I were on your board of directors, what I would mandate that you do to the degree what that one can is set yourself up with like six-week milestones, six mm-hmm. to eight weeks. You know, we're, we're at the beginning of September now. You basically have eight weeks. And I want to see broken down week by week milestones. What do you accomplish? What do you need to get done next week? What do you need to get done the following week? You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Because what I'd like you to be in a position is to say in November, if, as I suspect will happen, you're not hitting your milestones, you slow the spending down and you buy yourself an extra month. Mm-hmm. I think the worst thing that you can do, forget for a moment the choice that you've set up. Do I go for it or do I be conservative right now and, and in effect spend nothing? I think the worst thing you can do is to, is to move into this next phase without a clear, definable plan of action. And then no way to gauge, to hold yourself accountable as to whether or not you're in fact making progress. So you have to be, this is a very critical time because this is the time period where a lot of self-delusion starts to kick in and you start to tell yourself you're making progress when you're not. Mm -hmm. And this is dangerous. And what I'd like you to do is, is, is still have maneuvering room by, let's call it November 15th. Because at that point, you'll still have theoretically about six to eight weeks worth of cash, Right. And you could slow things down again at that point and buy yourself another month. But I like the idea of just sort of setting something shorter term. Yeah, and and, and I would point out something else. I mean, let let me ask you, the the people who are on your board of directors, were they the ones who gave you the second tranche of the seed fund? Uh, One of them, yes. So we have, uh, yeah. So so if you notice, by keeping that person up to date and, Mm -hmm. and part of the process, even though you missed a few milestones or one milestone, yeah, they put more money in. Indeed. And Indeed. right. And so there's another lesson in there, which is you really have to treat your investors as partners. Right. The last thing I want to see you do is surprise the heck out of your existing investors. If you keep no, them it, up to date it, and you they deserve more than that. I that's mean, they, right. They, yeah, that's right. And so you could give them a report. I mean, I want you tracking this weekly. Mm-hmm. But you can give them a report every two weeks. And yep. it doesn't have to be very long. It could be three or four bullet items, you know, number of customer calls, number of beta users, number of installations, number of whatever it is that you're me- measuring. Mm-hmm. And every two or three weeks, you're sending them an update so that they feel 
that let's call it by November 15th, you're making a joint decision about what you want to do. Now that said, they're still going to look to you to lead. Of course. You're, you're ultimately still going to be the one responsible for making the judgment call as to how you go forward post-November 15th. But I also want you to remember, too, that after November 15th, you're going to start getting into the holiday period here in the States. That's a big concern of mine. I mean, we were there last, last winter. Uh, last winter, the, the company ran out of cash around. Actually, funnily enough, around the same date, around November 15th. And we had already had a signed term sheet from our investors, but it just the process was was you know immense to uh, to get everything done, and uh, there was a huge amount of structural work in the company had to be done, legal work, and it, it dragged on until around as I said February March uh, between everyone. And yeah, the winter was very rough. It was very rough for the whole team, for Murad, for everyone. So it was it was a very rough time. All right. So what are you going to do to prevent that from happening again? Uh, yeah, I mean, have a, have a better plan. Uh, but actually, I mean, I think last year we also had a good plan. What I what I didn't, I guess, the experience that I had last year was I didn't understand. People told me it could take a long time to do things. I just didn't believe that things could take that long. Uh, now I'm much, much more aware and self-aware. As I said, now I know that if we have a six or seven month runway, then it means we need to start fundraising now, not not in four or five months time, because it would take too long to, to close the whole process. And then things will get very uncomfortable uh, while we're sitting in between those the zones. And that's a, that's a very bad place to be for any company. That's right. That's right. And, and you know, the last thing you want to do is be in a position of running out of cash. Not yeah. only does it does it um, put you in a terrible negotiating position with potential investors or existing investors. But as you noticed, it destroys morale, yeah. and it's so distracting that you then start to miss opportunities that are right in front of you, you know, closing a customer, that sort of thing, because you're so anxious about cash. So cash management, you know, you're in the cash management phase right now. You're mm-hmm. not so much in the, should we grow the company, should we not grow the company phase? You're really in the cash management phase. That doesn't mean get parsimonious. And get so and be driven by your fears. I, you know, my one of my favorite Zen sayings is this being so, so what? And it and it and it's an aphorism that that basically teaches to really deal with the reality that is to to, to lean into the reality that is. And, and and this is the situation. What you've done is set yourself up to run out of cash around January 15th. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, so, you know, is there a line of credit that you can st- establish? Can you have a conversation with the investors? For example, you can start to have a conversation with the investors in the next three or four weeks that say, listen, if we're close and we sign a term sheet before, say, Christmas, yeah. are you willing to roll a convertible note to cover us while we get the paperwork done? Yeah, sure, a bridge round. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It doesn't even have to be a full round. It's just a note, and it'll convert into that round, and, and then you get to negotiate from a place of strength because you got $100,000, $200,000 in the bank. Yeah. Right? Part of your good governance and good leadership right now is to look down the road and make sure that you've got you know, things covered. Well, that's something that's become harder and harder to do. As, as companies grow, and I've realized that uh, that forward-looking perspective, we actually had a very interesting meeting a few days ago uh, here in Silicon Valley where you know, there was a, a great guy. Uh, he, he met up with me f- uh, for breakfast, and we talked about the product and things. And he was, 
it was very interesting because you know one of the things that he noticed was that originally when we started the company about a year ago we were talking only about product vision you know the future of the company the future of the product and that's where we were always you know always pitching now we have something to show people you know our, our actual let's say sight into the future has actually shortened considerably into well, you know on the next feature and the things that's going to come up in the next couple of weeks and he was asking well you know what's the vision where is this thing going and um I think that the same has happened with me uh, regarding the whole company. Is that as the company's got bigger, as we've had more, let's say, day-to-day operational type things to deal with, as we we started to talk with customers and things are happening now and things are happening soon, we keep forgetting about what's going to happen, you know, in 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 the future. Yeah, you know, you're in a difficult phase of maturation because, on the one hand, you need to be focused in, on on the present and the here and now, and at the same time, you need to be thinking down the down you know, ahead, down the road. And, you know, you're expressing the duality of that. There's another way to think about this, though. Instead of thinking about it so much as the here and now versus the down, you know, down the road. Sure. One thing to think about is, is your job is not necessarily to build the product. Your job is to build a company. Mm-hmm. Okay. And a company will have multiple products. And a company will have multi, multiple iterations on the same product. So part of what your job is right now is to build the resources into the company so that the company can not only survive low points of cash, but different iterations in the product. Yeah. So there's a big difference between building a company and building a product. Building a company is about building sustainability into the system and resiliency in the system. And that means, you know, when we think about looking down the road, it's about making the system more capable to survive the seasonality of, say, cash, or the seasonality of customer purchasing habits, or the seasonality of just the economic conditions that you're operating in. Does this make sense? It does. I think it's, um, you know, it's, it's, it's that constant balance because I think I'm much more comfortable in the, in the product field where, you know, there's cash to build something great and you're doing that and you want to get it out there and do great things with it. But building a sustainable business is something that has become, I guess, more relevant now that I have more weight on my shoulders. Now that I've noticed, you know, there's more staff, there's more employees looking towards longer term plans. And we want to, you know, I, I don't want to see any of these guys out of a job by Christmas. And I don't think there's any reason for a startup to be talking in that kind of way. Because at the moment, you know, we're in a very positive, you know, uh, phase. We're in a very positive uh, light. Everything, you know, the, the, the investors the board have just met, you know, this week and they've been very happy with progress. I mean, people are, it's a very positive time. And yet, the worry is always there that you know you got all these these guys uh, you know to, to look after and all these guys to make sure that they will be able to have something to take home at the end of each month and be able to uh, carry on growing the business with them. So that 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 worry, Nigel, that huh? worry never goes away. Sure, sure. No matter how safe and secure the company feels, the worry never goes away because the the stakes always get higher. Yeah, You'll have more employees, more people focused on you, more customers, reputational, more investors and that sort of thing. And so as part of that building sustainable business process, we also want to be focused on building resiliency within you. Mm-hmm. Right. So and, 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 and the impulse that you that you identify, which is to stay focused on product. I'm going to say two things about that. 
The first is that, well, three things. The first is that it is very, very common. It's very common. And staying focused on product uh, makes a ton of sense if the game you want to play is to shoot for an act to be acquired in the next 18 to 24 months. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people have made a lot of money and brought a lot of successful products to market by staying focused on that. And there's no shame in that being a strategy. I know it's politically correct to talk about purpose and meaning and all that, and we'll get there in a moment. Yeah, sure. But there's no shame in just building a, uh, building a great product that somebody needs to have and acquire, and then you make some money, and then you turn around and you help the world. Great. However, if that's not what you're interested in, and based on some pre- past conversations, I know that you're interested in making a difference in the underlying economy in Armenia. You know, sure. we t- talked about before, Armenia is really important to you. Mm-hmm. And so building a company becomes the, the, the more sustainable path. What I would also suggest is that it's, it's you know, I don't know if you follow baseball at all, but, but in baseball, there are people who swing for the fences and try to hit home runs all the time. And there are people who just don't care. They just try to get on base every single time they're up. And, you know, a great team needs both. There's something powerful about both styles. For my money, I like the guy who's always trying to get on base because they always make something happen. And in my view, that's a much less risky strategy. It's a much less riskier strategy than trying to build a product that come hell or high water, somebody has to come in and buy. Because all of a sudden, you start, your, your future starts to be dictated by external economic conditions and you have no control over that. Whereas if you build a sustainable business, a sustainable and repeatable business, and then someone comes along and wants to acquire you, well, it's up to you as to whether or not you want to sell. Sure. You're not backing to a I, I think the greatest companies in the world, I mean, all of them, uh, have, have all taken that, that latter approach to, uh, to building a business. And I think that um, although I don't want to, you know, over overblow what it is that I want to achieve. I do think that, as you said, for Armenia and for other places that we've really been and, and the people and the people that supported us, I think it's very important to not just go for that, you know, that, that first step. Because for me, you know, it's, it's, it's a two-part process. And, uh, and I agree that I'd much rather see a team of people that are actually working on jobs they love building products that may or may not, you know, be successful in markets. Some may, some may not. But being able to be part of a company that has that, that environment where they can actually work on the type of tech that they're interested in and, you know, get, get things out to market as they go, as opposed to, you know, a one shot, one hit, you know, a home run, as, as you put it. So that, uh, that's right. And so if that's what you want to do, mm-hmm. then your focus has to at least be equally on building the company as it is on building the product. Indeed. Yeah. And that means securing a steady source of capital and smoothing out the vagaries in your capital expenditure so that you're determining the best moment when you're fundraising, not your bank balance. This is your job and this is the time to be focused on it because you've got some maneuver room right now. 
Sure. But you don't have a lot. You only have a no, few, we, we few months. We, we, we've never had a lot. So, I mean, that's one thing I can say coming from from that side of the world is that we've never had a lot. You know, last year we were operating with, you know, on average maximum sort of three-month run times, and it was very, it was very rough, you know, very, very rough. This this year we've had double that each each time between the rounds, and it's still been um, pretty tough because the team's got bigger and, and things get, you know, as you said, the stakes increase. So... Um, no, no, it's a very interesting way to look at it. To not be dictated, you know, don't let the bank balance dictate the decisions, and uh, instead focus on the on the on the overarching plan to make sure that things don't happen. I mean, I had a very interesting discussion again this week, where you know it was really brought up to me that how I thought about you know taking the company through a bootstrapping phase for some period of time because people have said that you know they see that we're very close to either having a product that is maybe not globally uh, applicable, but definitely there's probably enough potential out there that it could probably sustain the business in its current form for quite some time until we can build something more, let's say, globally uh, globally appealing. Um, and that was also a very interesting idea because I hadn't really considered that up to this point. I mean, most of the time I'd considered that we'd follow a, you know, you know, a standard kind of multi-round investment type process. But it seems like there is a lot of value now in, in also looking at just, you know, keeping the business sustainable for some period of time, you know, lower the expectations of growth. Um, but I but I do worry then, and the only worry I have there is that how will, you know, how will the team, how will other people around the business, you know, react to that if they see the business not, I wouldn't call it stagnate, but but remain in a sort of one sort of stable position for some period of time, building a, a smaller product, just generating enough revenue to sustain the business for a short period of time, possibly become self-sustainable for for a long period of time but I mean I, I don't know how that's going to be perceived by by everyone around because I think a lot of people want to be part of that fast-growing you know that fast-growing exciting you know tech startup and they don't want to be part of the uh, what if you talked it over with uh, with uh, some of the senior more mature people in your team mm, yeah what if you got their opinion what if you actually gave them the choice or at least gave them the opportunity to give you their input what if it wasn't always on your shoulders, Nigel, to not only identify what the problem was, but walk in with the solution? Oh, we have a good team, Jerry. Recently, one of my co-founders, you know, he just, uh, he sent me a message. It was my birthday a few days back, and he sent me a message and said, you know, happy birthday. And then, he, and then, he, and then the end of the message, he wrote, uh, and as you know, thanks for, thanks for holding the torch every day and you know, coming to work and keep, keep things moving along, keep pushing things along. You know, I really appreciate that. What's this and guy's I'm, first I'm, name? I'm really happy with the team that we have. So, yeah. what's it, what's this guy's first name? Uh, Alessandro. Why don't you sit down with Alessandro as soon as you can and sort of lay out the use the fundraising, use the the cash balance as the structure to then have a a, a really clear conversation where the two of you craft the strategy. So you lay out what you think the milestones need to be. You lay out what you you know what the decision points are because there's no point in having milestones unless you attach a decision to the milestones, right? By October 1 we are going to be deciding x or y. Mm-hmm. By November 15 we're going to decide, you know, A or B. And you lay that all out. And you could even as you get closer, you could even get into anticipating if you have to cut expenditures, what would you cut? Would you cut people or would you cut salaries? 
or but that was that was also the advice that came in from one of our close advisors. Um, he's based here in LA, and uh, you know his, his view was like, you know, consider everybody. You know, cutting salaries, consider the whole, you know, the whole team taking a step back, um, considering you know just like you know, really, really tightening the, the you know the bolts on every single person. Make sure that whoever's around, you know, needs to be around, and no one's you know extra weight right now. And um, yeah, his, his advice, you know, from a from an outside perspective, sounds very clear, sounds very sensible. There's nothing I can disagree with. But at the same time, being inside of that session, a system, and hearing that, I immediately felt defensive. I felt that uh, somebody was saying that, look, you know, this thing is, you know, it's, it's not going. You know, I, I don't know why, but maybe it's just you know perspective. And again, as you said, you can become very easily clouded when you're inside the system. But when I heard it, I did become quite defensive. I was quite like, well. Why is he telling me that I should be, you know, taking, you know, because I don't feel that anyone's like particularly, you know, taking huge salaries or taking an advantage of any system. We don't, you know, we're not, a, we're not, let's say, an Americanized startup where, you know, I, I, you hear crazy stories in the news. I mean, we're not, we're not nowhere near as crazy as that, you know. So we're quite sensible with everything we've done and we're quite responsible with everything we've done. But at the same point, you know, I, I hear his words and I see that you know, he's got experience um, with a lot of, you know, setting up businesses before. And I'm wondering, well... You know where where does he see that you know the the risk is? And his point was to you know keep things very 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 tight because you don't know you know where the next cash is coming from. And I, I would know. argue that he's not even saying that. I think mm-hmm. what he's saying to you is keep things uh, real, meaning uh, yeah. know what your plan is going to be, know what you're going to cut, know what you're not going to cut, know what you can cut, know what you can't cut. I think it's interesting because you heard a criticism and I didn't hear the criticism. Now, I wasn't in the first conversation, but you got, you got defensive. It was, it, I mean, the situation was that, you know, we were talking about, uh, you know, taking the company forward. And there was basically just an email, you know, out of the blue, more or less. After, after an investor update, so there was an update. Uh, in the update was just you know, the general news about where we were that month and what had happened and, and the fact that we were looking to close the second half of the of the investment. And um, and then the response back to that was, you know, from him was just like, just, you know, tighten the bolts down, keep everything, you know, potentially, you know, cut salaries, you know. Uh, I mean, he, he, he seemed dramatic, you know, cut, cut everything by half, you know, for everybody across the board, just half everything you can, half the expenditure, then, you know, uh, give yourself more time, give yourself more runway, you're going to need it. Um, and, and, and the end of his sentence was very clear, that, you know, he doesn't want to see us run out of money. Well, I, th- I think what you're dealing with is that the investor was giving you the best possible advice they could give you based on their emotional read of the situation, which yeah. was if, if it were them, this is what they would do, mm-hmm. right? And rather than seeing it as a potential criticism, see it as one potential path, and uh, as, as we laid it out, I mean, to me, the facts are you're going to be out of cash on such and such date, which means you need to raise money by such and such date, which means that you need to have the fundraising begun by such and such date, which means yeah. that you need to have milestones in place so that you can have a successful fundraising by such and such date. Sure. That's the way to respond to the theoretical conditions that that you're all dealing with in you know in this moment and the person who knows those facts best is you absolutely yeah i mean the other thing about i can say about fundraising and this is something i learned again through experience uh, over the past year has been 
that you want to be in the strongest possible position at the moment when you know you're negotiating, and that's hard because you want to you want to try and force everything in the company to be in that that strongest possible position. So, for example, the product you want it to look as strong as it possibly can be. You know that more time will make the product better, but at the same time, you know if you don't show it, then you're going to miss that that window of opportunity where you can actually get something signed up and done. So. I think at the moment we're we're fighting that balance of being at the point of being in the strongest position. Because if you're not, then you know things things do sort of take a backflip where people go like, "Oh, this is okay," but it doesn't you know it doesn't get them excited enough to do it. And you only have that first impression the first time. So um, I, think I think that's, that's absolutely right. I think mm-hmm. that's absolutely right. And I, I I think in the same another thing to think about that will put you in a strong position is you know what your scenario B is. Scenario B is. And if I don't raise money, here's what my new salary will be. Here's what Alessandra's new salary will be. Here's what Joe's new salary will be. Yeah. And we've already discussed it. And these are the conditions. And nobody's getting screwed because we're all in this together. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's not, maybe it's not just a salary cut. Maybe it's a deferred salary. Maybe it's equity in lieu of salary. Whatever yep. it is that you – but have that discussion now. The benefit of having that discussion now is it'll t- it will tighten the team. Sure. See, my concern is that you're, and maybe, maybe you're not doing this, but my concern is that you're taking all of this burden on yourself. And I hear you. You've said to me several times, you have a great team. I am sure of that. And I want this burden shared by the team. Because that's what a great company is. Mm-hmm. Right? A great company is not... Everything is on the shoulders of one person. That's just too risky. That's not really fair. No, it's not fair to anyone. You know, I, I don't want to have so many discussions and so much stuff that makes people panic that things aren't going well. I'd rather people believe that, you know, guys are going to throw money at us in a few months if we just keep building great stuff and keep people very on the, on the high spirited, you know, Nigel, pe- yeah. people are not going to panic based on what you say. They're going to panic based on what you feel when you say it. So if you feel panic and you tell them everything is fine, they're still going to feel panic. And if you feel uh, that things are under control and that you have a sense of a plan and you lay out what the challenges are, they're not going to panic. Mm. It's a mistake to assume that, that people are going to respond to your words more than your own feelings. This is the function of leadership. You know, I just finished George Washington's biography, and so forgive me, because I keep, I keep referencing back to him in, you know, in my head. And there's this great scene at the very, very end um, uh, of, uh, of his uh, uh, presidency. There's, it's the Whiskey Rebellion. And this was a, a rebellion that occurred in the western part of what was then the United States, and they were rebelling against the tax put on the whisk, on whiskey. And there were basically armed re- rebels who were moving against the government. And, you know, he moved the army in there as commander-in-chief. And, and there's this one scene where he, his back is incredibly in pain and he, can't, he can barely hold himself up on a horse. And his, him being on a horse was such a powerful image. And so he took a carriage from Philadelphia out to the, you know, to the, to the hinterlands of Ohio and he gets there and he gets off the carriage and he gets back on his white horse because he knows he needs to do that. And he rides through the troops and the troops are faced off with the rebels and he says nothing. 
but just rides through the troops. And the troops start to cry. Just looking at him at the way he sat on the horse. That's what I'm talking about. That's your leadership opportunity. You know? Yeah, so it's a very powerful image, Jeremy. Yeah, that, you know, that's the hardest part. What I'm talking about right now is the hardest part of being the CEO. It's about your bearing. It's about your being. It's not about what the words you use or the plan you put out. The plans are really important. But if you say to the team, those 10 other people, we're in it and we're in it together and you feel it in your gut, it'll be all right. Well, will you keep me up to date and let me know how the fundraising goes and how the fall unfolds for you? Uh, absolutely, Jerry. So, yeah, uh, I've taken on board a lot of what you said, and thank you very much for, for your time. Oh, it's my pleasure. It's my pleasure, and good luck with everything. Take care of yourself, my friend. Thanks, Jerry. Thank you very much. Be well. So that's it for our conversation today. I know a lot was covered in this episode, from links to books to quotes to images. So we went ahead and compiled all that and put it on our site at reboot.io slash podcast. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, you can find out about that on our site as well. I'm really grateful that you took the time to listen. If you enjoyed the show and you want to get all the latest episodes as we release them, head over to iTunes and subscribe. And while you're there, it would be great if you could leave us a review, letting us know how the show affected you. So thank you again for listening, and I really look forward to future conversations together.